Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read starting in verse 9. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, After Jesus had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Amen. Join me. We're going to pray over the word as we receive it this morning. Father, our worship continues as we open your word. I thank you that we find it uh, alive and active and, and sharp. God, ready to teach us and to train us in righteousness, to correct us and encourage us. I thank you that as we open it, you open our eyes to the wonders of it. And Holy Spirit, you, you illuminate it to every heart today as each one has need. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this is just our second Sunday here in the book of Acts. And I, I'm excited. I have already been uh, swimming in Acts. And I know it's going to be a blessing and an encouragement for us. Uh, this passage today, the text we're going to cover today, is going to be a little bit more teaching, maybe, because uh, it, it's a story, right? Acts is a historic narrative. It's telling a story about the origin of the church. And we talked about last week. We like to know where it is that we came from. Genealogical studies are big right now. Why? Because people want to know where they come from. They want to know that they're tied back to something that has been lasting and that has carried on. And we find that in being part of the church. This is not something new. This is not something novel. The church has been and will be and is going to be because Christ put it together. He has has blessed it and commissioned it to move and to act. And we're going to see that uh, as we go through the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about just in a quick introduction that Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, he references in the first part of this. He said, in my first writing, my first narrative, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up. And how important that word began is there, that he started something that is continuing. Amen? He didn't do something that's over. He started something that is continuing, and he's continuing it through the church. It said he was doing this until the moment he was taken up. As long as his feet were on the ground here on the earth, he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and then salvation by his blood, repentance of sin to the glory of his name until the moment that he was taken up. Jesus, the son of God, was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And we know it drew a crowd, right? And some of them followed him for a long time. And those were his disciples. And among the disciples, there were 12 that he set aside 
They said, you will be my apostles. You are selected for a separate task that, that is a step further than only being my disciple. And we saw him go about teaching with authority. And then towards the Passover, you know, there was a lot of conflict building around Jesus's ministry because he was having run-ins with the government. He was having run-ins with uh, the religious leaders of the day. And it was assumed that Jesus leading this big crowd, leading this movement was going to take over in Jerusalem. That He was going to be the king that God had promised. And so when he was headed to Jerusalem, everybody had this expectation that, okay, now is the time. The time has come. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the big confrontation. Remember, they had seen him do so many signs and wonders and miracles. They just couldn't wrap their mind around how big this was going to be when Jesus went to Jerusalem. And then he goes there and they have the Passover together and he institutes what we know, right? Communion coming to the table. He said, this is my body, which will be broken. This is my blood, which is a new covenant for you in my blood. And they're like, okay, it's happening. Here we go. And then he's arrested. And then he's crucified and they don't know what to do. They're like, I did this went completely different and alternate from what I thought it was going to be. And they what they scattered. But we know that on the third day he rose from the dead and he appeared to them. We're going to spend a lot of time on that this morning because we went through it in Luke. But he references it here that after he suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. And he stayed with them for many days was in and out with them. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father Almighty. And we see that in verse nine. We read it right. He ascends to heaven after having given instructions through the spirit to his apostles, those that he had chosen. And he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive what the father has promised. Remember, he told them it's better for you that I go than if I were to stay because when I go, the comforter is going to come. And so this is a very dramatic thing. You think about all that that has gone on in their life in that, you know, what, month and a half period. And then they're standing on the Mount of Olives with him and he's telling them this and he's giving them this commission. And all of a sudden he's gone. How did he go? I don't know, but it says they were looking into the sky. They were standing flat footed on the ground and then he's Gone. They were used to Jesus doing stuff that they didn't understand. But going to, from Jerusalem on, it got really, really wild, didn't it? This six to eight weeks, it just went kind of bananas on them. And you see them standing there, staring into the sky where Jesus just ascended to heaven. And they're standing there. And all of a sudden, there's these two men, it tells us in white robes or white clothes stood by them. Now these guys, would show, remember they were at the tomb when they went to the tomb to anoint what they expected to be the dead body of Jesus. And these guys always show up with really cool lines, right? At the tomb, it was, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And you're like, that's an awesome line. <laughs> Such an awesome line. And then here they, they're just up beside them all of a sudden and you go into it. We, we can talk about this when we go through it on Wednesday night. You know, who are these men? What are they doing? But what did they say to them? They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Why are you just standing around looking at the sky? 
So Jesus went that way. He's going to come back that way too. But there's the emphasis there of, didn't he tell you you had something to do? You're not supposed to just be standing here. And it's almost like they came to themselves and they realized that. You know, we can get stuck like that, can't we? God does something really big and really awesome and we just standing there still looking at it. And it's awesome and it's good and we should worship over that. We just can't forget that he's usually got a next step for us. He's got something he's called us to do following that. We can't just get stuck on the last thing that happened because he's got something prepared for us to come. Right. We see that as a church. The church wasn't made to stand still, was not meant to be still. We've been given a next step. And listen, we don't move on from what happened. We don't move on from what happened. We move on with what happened and in what has happened, because what they're going to move into is going to be empowered by what he just did. If Jesus doesn't ascend, the gospel's not true. We'll go into that later. But they, they realize, oh, yeah, here we go. Verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It tells us where they were about a Sabbath day's journey away. And then it tells us who's in the house, who's with them, who's a part of this group. It goes through and names the 11, right? Peter, John, James, and so on. And then it tells us that it's also the women who went along with Jesus and then Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So we see in this group quite a bit of diversity, not near as diverse as the church would become, but for this time, we see some diversity there. We already knew there was quite a bit of diversity among the 12 that he called, right? You had some that were fishermen. You had one that was a tax collector. You had at least one that was a zealot that, by the way, for the most part, really hated the tax collectors. Nobody liked them, but the zealots hated them the most. And he calls them to walk together. And then you see the women there with the group. That would have been unusual for the time for them to be included that way. And you even see, again, Mary, his mother and his brothers, which we know didn't believe him in the beginning, but came to faith. You know, when your brother dies on a cross and then raises from the dead, it's hard to deny that he's the savior. Right. It's pretty easy to doubt it. Like, hey, man, you know, we slept in the same room with this guy. We've been around him. We know where he comes from. But when he raises from the dead and appears to you following, apparently it's pretty convincing. So you have people that have been there with him for a significant length of time and you have some that it just showed up and it's the diversity of the body. Different backgrounds, different mix of experience. And we see that continue through the book of Acts and in much greater measure. That the church that he forms together is a people out of not a people, but they come together unified in what Christ has done. It's a strange and beautiful mix of people that we know will culminate in what Revelation tells us is around the throne, a multitude, every nation, every tribe, every language represented. Everyone coming to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that's who's in the house. It's a diverse group. And so what are they doing? He told them to wait in Jerusalem. What are they doing while they're waiting? What's happening in verse 14? It says they were continually united 
in prayer. Continually united in prayer. And we'll see in a few verses coming up, we haven't read them yet, but that there were about 120 people with them. 120 people, which is not an insignificant number, by the way. We'll talk about that when we get to it on Wednesday night. I don't have enough time this morning, but it's not an insignificant number. Matter of fact, it may be a significant number. So they're diverse, not as diverse as they would be, but nonetheless, and they are united. They're in a room. Not, 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 a, not a building, not a complex. They are in a room. So they are fellowshipping together. They're spending time together in what would be probably pretty close quarters. So they're unified together and they're praying. What united them together in prayer was him. They had met him. They had known him, had been changed by him. Some very, very dramatically where you could see it just open. Like I know them. I know where they come from. Right. Most of them. It was a dramatic change. I've known him. He's changed me. He loved me. I'm following after him. You, same thing happened to you. And it joins them together, just like it joins us together today. Reminds me of Psalm 34 when it said, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let, let us exalt his name together. We're called to follow him, but he does not call us to do it alone. He joins us together in the body. And we know that just like we are saved, not by what we do, but by what he has done, right? It's by grace we're saved through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Just like we're saved, not by what we've done or can do or will do. We're saved by what he has done. The church is assembled likewise. The church isn't united based on what we do, but what he has done. Because from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, right? That's in Romans. So we have this leading up from Verse 1 of chapter 1, which is where we started last week, to verse 14, you kind of have a recap and, and a setup. He's like, here's, the scene, here's what's going on. Here's who's there. Here's what's happening. Jesus was resurrected, victorious, commissioned these disciples, the apostles, to, and commanded them to wait until they received the Father's promise, the Holy Spirit. Right? Which, who knows what they were picturing when he said that. When he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be clothed in power from on high. Who knows what they had in their mind? And then he ascended and then they went to Jerusalem as he commanded. They're united together in prayer and they're waiting. They're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. So you see, even in the early church, they, they watch Jesus. They worship. You see that in the other accounts of the ascension, that they went away worshiping and praising God. And they pray, united together, and then they wait. They wait. And in that, there's a tone of that there is work that is going to be done. There is work that is going to be done. How do they know that? Well, he commissioned them. And so then after this setup and after this recap that Luke gives us in chapter one, we have a very interesting passage that also points to the tone that there is work that is going to be accomplished. 
And I want to look at verse 15 through the end of the chapter here. I'm going to read it. In those days when they're assembled, when they're praying together, when they're waiting. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120. And he said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was one of our number and he shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open and his intestines spilled out. The Bible's not PG. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field is called the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two: Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. Well, that's a very interesting passage. These are the kind of passages that you get to walk through when you go through a book of scripture verse by verse. Right. That you would normally go, I don't really understand all this. I'm going to go to back to, you know, something that I do. Peter stands up in the midst of the brothers and sisters. You see that how it refers to the, the family there. He stood up amongst the brothers and sisters and said, we need to talk about Judas. We need to talk about Judas. Who was Judas? He says right here. He was one of our number. He shared in this ministry and he became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. What became of him? Also from right here. He acquired a field with his wages, died again, graphic description, and it was called the field of blood. And Peter said the Holy Spirit foretold this through David about Judas. And he quotes two Psalms and puts them together. Right. Not exactly what we recommend when you're preaching a scripture, but he takes two Psalms and he, and he puts them together and he says, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Now, we remember Judas, Judas Iscariot. Right. If you notice, when we read through the names of those that were assembled, there was another Judas in there. Life was probably awkward for him, wasn't it? Like, hi, how are you? My name's John. What's your name? My name's Judas. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm Judas, the son of James, not the other one. Oh, okay. Okay, right? He's probably just wanting to change his name at that point because that name just started to take on a context. We still have it today, right? It's a traitorous name. And so Judas 
had been called by the Christ and walked with him and commissioned in ministry with the other disciples. And yet he was overcome and destroyed by an evil heart, evil intentions. He betrayed Jesus to the authorities, right? For what? Money. He said, I can give you Jesus. I will take you to where he is because they wouldn't stay in the city. They would go out the countryside when night came so that they wouldn't be able to be easily set upon is what you would assume. That's why they needed a guide to go to where he was. He said, I'll take you to where he is and you'll be able to arrest him. Now, we've talked before and we'll talk plenty probably when we get to this on, on Wednesday night about his motive. Why would he do this? Why would this happen? But the fact for here is that it did happen. And the book of Matthew tells us that when Judas saw that after he had betrayed Jesus, that Jesus was condemned to die. Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't been crucified. But when he saw that Jesus stood condemned and handed over to Pilate, that he went back to the, the, the chief priests and said, we need to undo this here. Take this money back. And they're like, that is your problem. And he just threw the money back at him and went out full of remorse. Is what the CSB says in the book of Matthew. He went out full of remorse and hung himself. And then they took that money. They're sitting there with this money. They're like, what are we supposed to do with this money? This is blood money, which unclean money. Well, it was their money to start with. They were involved in this whole deal. Just kind of shows you what was going on. This is blood money. They said, what we'll do is we'll go and buy a potter's field. And it can be a burial place for foreigners. I'm going to take just a second. I want to talk about a potter's field for just a minute. So they bought a potter's field. And I was like, what is that? You've heard that the potter's field. What is that? And it just kind of gnawed on me. So I went, I did some digging. Potter's field did some digging. The potters needed clay to work, right? And so they would find fields where this clay was there, right? In a layer. We've seen fields like that, right? The big, you know, layer of red clay right here. And so they would go and essentially excavate what they needed for their pottery, for their business, for their work, for their livelihood. They would excavate it from there. But the problem was after you took that away, what was left was essentially worthless. You couldn't use it for agriculture. You had already pulled the worth out of it. You'd stripped it of the worth. And so all you have is a vacant field with holes and trenches in it that's not good for anything. Now, how much does that sound like sin? Where it will strip all your worth from you and leave you without anything that you can do. And then all you're good for is a place for dead things to dwell. It said, we'll use this as a place where we can bury foreigners. What did they mean? People who aren't clean, people who don't deserve to be buried where the righteous folks are buried, where the righteous dead are laid. This is where people would be buried when they were outsiders. That's what the money went to from Judas's betrayal. Again, example of how sin and evil strips us of our worth, devoids us of our purpose, 
and leaves us full of dishonor and death. So here in Acts 1 is the first time that Luke would write about the aftermath of Judas's betrayal. He didn't write about it in the Gospel of Luke. He wrote about the betrayal, but not the aftermath. And Mark and John didn't write about it either. Again, the only other piece we have is there in Matthew. And it wasn't like Luke forgot about it when he was writing that first narrative, right? When like, oh no, I left that out. I better plug it in here. When, when this is constructed, it's done so purposefully and over a long period of time. So when you see where things appear, they're there for a reason. And he put it right here. I believe for impact and effect. I think that part of it is, is so we can see what they would have seen is that there was at least one that walked with us that walks with us no more. There was one that was a part of us that is no longer a part of us. I believe it wasn't just, well, we have a vacancy now and we should fill it. I believe that these verses fit from 15 to 20, this story about Judas, I do believe that it's supposed to weigh on us. Again, Peter said he was one of our number. He shared in this Ministry, and yet he became a guide, a betrayer to the enemy. And again, I know we'll spend a lot of time on that in, in study on, on Wednesday night. But I think he wanted to prove a point. And Peter stands up and says this, y'all know Judas, and y'all know what happened. And he said, it is necessary that we feel this office. In other words, here we stand at 11. We used to be 12. Here we stand at 11. We need to be back to 12. And he lays out some qualifications that whoever fills this position, Judas's vacancy, which he left, said it needs to be somebody who's been with us the whole time who's been with us since John's baptism, when Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan. It needs to be somebody that goes back a ways uh, up until the ascension. And now we don't have the source for these qualifications. We don't know where they came from. We just know that it says it right here. And I think it's a good time to point out when you're reading, again, historical narrative, a lot of times it's going to be put there without comment. It's this is what happened. So we don't know if Peter was right in this, if Peter was wrong in this, or if this just didn't make any you know, neutral difference. Right. And so it, it, when it's presented without comment, you can't just assume that it is saying this is good and right. Again, we can talk about that. There's some wrestling there with the text. But he says we need somebody who's been with us from John's baptism until the ascension. And it's necessary that one of those who is qualified become a witness with us to the resurrection. So why would he do this? It could have just been as simple as, hey, there were 12 of us. Jesus set, set 12. There's only 11 of us now. I feel like we ought to have 12 because that's what Jesus set out. It could have been that there were actual tasks and ministries that they had been specifically assigned and Judas's vacancy meant that there was work that wasn't being done because they lived together, right? They lived together out on the country. They would have all had roles and tasks just to keep everything moving. It could have been that. 
It could have been the fact that Judas died before the resurrection ever happened. Because later on, when you see the brothers start to get, when you see James get executed, you don't have another meeting like this. They don't have another election. So it could have been that. Again, Judas hung himself after Jesus was handed over to Pilate, even before the scene with Judas and Jesus and Barabbas. We talked about that one. He said, one of these will be a witness with us. And I think that's where we need to really see the emphasis is that, listen, guys, there's going to be work to do. We have been assigned a task by the Savior, the Christ, to be a witness of his resurrection, who he is, what he's done and what that means for all mankind. And we're going to need everybody at their post, in other words, that Judas would have had a share in this, that he would have had a part in this, a part to play in this. And he's not here. Again, when you're reading through these, it's, it's not always clear if they were making the right decision to do this or the wrong one. But what is clear is that as they were unified in prayer, Peter felt compelled that they do this. He felt compelled in his heart that this was necessary. And so they have these qualifications and then they make two nominations. Somebody made them. They said, hey, we've got Joseph, also known as Barsabbas, also known as Justice. He's got extra names. He's got extra. Now, one of them just Latin. He's like, I got a Latin name. So maybe that made him, you know, think he was it. I don't know. And the other one was just Matthias. So a three-name man against a one-name man. And we remember the qualifications that they've been around with us, that they, they've been with us constantly since the baptism of John, which would have been three-ish years ago. It's our first time ever hearing these brothers' names. You never heard their name before. And they've been there. They've been around for a while. Had to be. Had to be to meet the qualifications. You never heard their name. Never heard of them in all of this time. And there were many like that that were with Jesus. And, and I want to point out that anonymity in the body doesn't mean unimportant. Anonymity in the body doesn't mean that they weren't accomplishing something for the kingdom of God. That there wasn't a work being done in them, through them by Jesus. Right? It points out to us that it reminds us that it's not about our name. It's about his name. If we're remembered more than he is, we haven't done it right. If we're remembered more than he is, we haven't done it right. It's okay to be remembered, but be, be remembered for being the one that was always pointing to him. That was always leading to him. It all ties back to him. We never heard of them before. And you know what? You don't ever hear of them again. And there were many in the number that you never hear from again. And that's no reason to think that they did anything other than follow Christ and tell of his goodness, to tell of salvation and repentance of sin through his blood and love others. We have no reason to think that they did anything other than that. And we don't have their names past this. And we have to be okay with that. Amen. Anonymity in the body 
doesn't mean unimportant. I tell you, this was going to be a little bit different today as we walk through some of these stories. There'll be other times it'll be maybe more like what you're used to. But we have these people just show up. They've been with him for a while. They're going to be with him for a while longer with the church. And we don't know their names. Welcome to the church because it's all about him. So they propose these candidates, I guess you would say. Hey, Joseph and Matthias. And then what did they do? They prayed. Look at that again in verse 24. It says, then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Again, that there's work that's going to be done and we need all hands on day. So they, so, so they say, Lord, you're the one who called us. You're the one that's prepared the work. You decide which one of these two should fill Judas's vacancy. And then they roll dice. <laughs> then they roll dice. And we talked last week when we're reading in Scripture, specifically in historic narrative like the book of Acts, we're going to have to determine, is this descriptive? Is this telling me, Stephen, here's what happened. You can learn from this. Or, or is this prescriptive? Stephen, this is how you make decisions in your life. So you see why that's important. When we read this, we go, well, they rolled dice. We're going to have to get dice for everybody. We're going to have to get Jesus balls where you shake it up like a magic eight ball and go, should I go to the grocery store now or tomorrow? You know, so what was one say? So all sources point to no. <laughs> right? No, it, it, it's not prescriptive, but it is descriptive. They, they cast lots, which is very, very Strange to us, but a couple things we need to point at, we need to point to. There was a completely appropriate form of this, doing this in the Old Testament to determine what God was directing. It says in Proverbs 16:33 that the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. There was even a form of this in the priesthood. And we can spend some time on it later. But we see that they, they, they do this. And, and so I, I don't want you to think it was inappropriate. And I also want to point out, these were two good choices. Right? Th these were two good, right men that had been with Jesus, walked with Jesus, served behind this, this group of apostles, I don't think there was going to be a big time wrong answer. Right? And they were pointing to God, you're the one that makes the decision. And then you know what? You never see them do this again. This is the last time lots were cast to determine where the Lord was leading and or what He was directing. It's the last time. So you see a transition here from the old, which was the best that they had at the time, to new life, being led by, what do we hear over and over in the New Testament? Be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by faith, not by sight. It's a transition from the lesser to the better. They rolled dice. They rolled dice. 
So again, I told you this one was a little bit, little bit different. And I hope it's encouraged you today to see Jesus having been raised, his apostles commissioned. He's ascended to the right hand of God Almighty. And then the church, which he's commissioned, is united in prayer and fellowship, and it's diverse. And they're focused on the work of the ministry that is to come. That they're going to be witnesses for him of the resurrection. And it's, it's, you even see it weighing on them. Again, I really believe that's why he said we need to feel this. We could argue about what was it, was it best, was it not. I think that was his heart. Is there's going to be work to do. And we need everybody here to get it done. Because if we don't have everybody together, we're going to miss something. We're, 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 there's going to be a gap. And we don't want any gaps. And then they were waiting. They were waiting on the promise of the Father to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered from on high, clothed with power so that they could be his witnesses. First in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. And I told you last, of which we are a beneficiary. We're a beneficiary of that. We're not anywhere close to Jerusalem or Judea, even Samaria. They thought Samaria was a long way away. It's way different over there. What if they rolled up over here? But here we are, saved by his blood, called by his name in Camden, Arkansas. And it all started right here. This was the origin of the church. And the same calling that was on them is on us today to be his witnesses. Close, further, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. So we see here in chapter one, he set the stage, everything's in, it, in, in its place. And we're going to get to see what God is about to do. And he's got everything positioned and he's about to ignite the church into action. And we'll start on that next week. Amen. Let's pray. Seal this today. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've not left us alone, but you've given us You've given us so much. Father, we have your word. But more than that, we have your Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. I thank you that you convict us of our sin. You convince us of our righteousness. And you promise us the judgment that's to come on the evil one who is still in operation in the world. I thank you that as we come to your scripture, as we come to this word, that you remind us that there is power and purpose for us as your church. Let us never forget that they operate together. You've given us power and it's for a purpose that we would be your witnesses. And just like it weighed on those men and women in that upper room as they were gathered and waiting, I pray that it would weigh on us that there's work to be accomplished. There's light to be shown. There's truth to be told. And there's victories to see won by the power that you've given us, the power that comes through your Holy Spirit, which we're able to be led by. Thank you that we're not cast in dice wondering what to do. I thank you that you have put your spirit 
into our hearts to let us know that we are your children. And by the power of that spirit, we call you our Abba Father. And it's from that position that we work. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. I thank you, Lord, that as we get ready to go today, that we leave just as they were in peace and unity with one another. And that we go with a prayerful attitude towards you. That we look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith because everything is from you and through you and to you. All glory to you. That as we go into this week, that we acknowledge you in all of our ways. That we're constantly aware of you. And Lord, that our eyes would be open to those that you have put in our path. That we can encourage, that we can build up, that we can just even bring comfort to in your name. Because we know that anything done in your name that's of your will, you will bless and cause it to grow. I thank you for the church. I thank you that I get to be part of it. And I thank you that we're going to continue on by the same power that we'll see here in Acts to be witnesses for you. Here where we are, further out from here, and Lord, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We thank you for these things and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.